Blog Talk Radio. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world, and we are translating to many different languages. We'd like to say hi and shout out to everybody outside the country also. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I also have a little uh, Sacred Sunday, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., if you want to check in with me then. Um, okay, during the show... I can take questions in order in chat, or you may call in with your question and talk with our really awesome guest tonight. So any buzzkillers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out, and I have a copy of your phone number and your information. I'll call you back, and I'll bug you, so don't bug me. Please play nice, okay? Anyway, so I have the following announcements. So August 24th, CERO, CERO, and International Support Group, we have a meeting at our Burbank location, and uh, that's this Sunday. And uh, for those of you who know, will know. It's in Burbank somewhere, a secret location. Anyway, uh, September 20th, Zero National event featuring researcher Grant Cameron. He's coming all the way down from Canada, and he is just incredible. So you don't miss that. So you'll be able to see him live and in person, and uh, he'll speak, be speaking over there. You can reach... Uh, the site, it'll be at the Culver City location, and uh, that's 4711 Overland Avenue. That's in Culver City. But for more information, go to the website, www.cerointernational.com. For more information, it's only 15 bucks at the door. You get to meet Grant Cameron in person. And then uh, we have other things coming up, uh, top priority screening, followed by the panel through all the producers, B.J. Thomas, Julia Davis and Angelo Bertololi, and that's Brittany Murphy's father is having this film movie, and we're all going to have it. And that's in November. If you're interested in that, please just go to the website. And also, uh, let's see, I have a little announcement. Uh, Denise David Williams of uh, Make Magic Productions uh, has a, uh, you can reach that production company at www.makemagicproductions.com. And uh, they're working on a movie about our, our loved and beloved uh, John Mack. And if you, they need your help, and they're doing a, uh, a fundraiser. And uh, there's only a couple weeks left in the campaign. So uh, if you want to go there to the fundraiser, donate. Any small amount is appreciated. igg.me slash at slash johnmackthemovie.com. And that will take you over there to the, uh, I think it's like the Indy or Iggy uh, uh, 
um, site. Anyway, and then next week, I want to let you know that Jackie Barrett, the famous uh, and amazing psychic, is going to be our guest next Friday night, and uh, that's going to be extremely interesting. And tonight, we have an awesome guest, Linda Godfrey. Now, we've had her on a couple times before, but we can never get enough of her. So uh, we're going to have her on again tonight. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a bio before I call her in. And she's a professional artist, and she's an amazing artist, teacher, writer, and mother of two. Linda Godfrey has carved a niche for herself in one of the most respected authorities on anomalous animals and paranormal phenomena in Wisconsin. And she's been acquired expert knowledge on the creatures known as the Beast of Bray Road. Godfrey has been interviewed in a plethora of television networks and programs that deal with bizarre creatures such as Inside Edition, Sightings, Animal Planet, Discovery Kids, and Sci-Fi Station. Anyway, Godfrey also has been featured in AMC's most expose of the realities of the werewolf film Underworld, entitled Fang vs. Fiction, and has recently, I asked her about that, and has recently been working on with, with an Australian team producing a show for the Discovery Channel. Godfrey has also made numerous appearances on um, um, Coast to Coast AM and everything else, and she's a uh, she got her degree at uh, University Oshkosh and is an as an art education and she is also on newspapers and I'm going to actually call her in right now. It'll take a second to get her online and uh, just have patience as all the listeners are starting to come in and uh, let's see here. I'm going to get your number and. Um, let me get over here. Okay, hold on one second. I'm going to call our guest for tonight. Lovely Linda Godfrey. Thank you for being patient. Let me double check the number. I don't want to be calling just, you know, anybody. Here we go. Hi, this is Linda. Hi, Linda. You're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred. How are you doing tonight? Great, thanks. How are you, Charlene? I am doing really good. And, um, you know, I have uh, Denise on the other line, and she's going to make a little blurb about the John Mack uh, fundraiser. Um, you Okay. Hello, you're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred. Denise? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Denise. Hi, Hi. Hi. I'm introducing the host. and uh, but Go ahead and uh, tell us about the fundraiser for John Mack. I told them a little bit about it. So go ahead and... Uh... Sure, sure, sure. So I'm Denise David-Williams, and I'm producing the major motion picture. It's called John Mack. It's the true story of the Harvard psychiatry professor and Pulitzer Prize-winning author, whose work with alien abductees completely shattered his worldview and created headline-making battles with Harvard over his conclusions. The film is going to tell this incredible true story of his courage, his conviction, and his personal transformation in the face of the alien phenomenon. I believe it's the biggest story of our times with unparalleled ramifications. It's a film that can truly impact the world. So we're asking your listeners to help us take the first crucial steps toward production to help us develop the script 
so that we can avoid going to into Hollywood and having the Hollywood committee, you know, determine what the story would be. We want it to be authentic and we want to tell it with integrity. So we're asking your listeners to please go to johnmacmovie.com, contribute whatever they can. There are only two weeks left in the campaign, so please don't delay. I believe the film John Mack will spark a sincere dialogue about the real possibility that we are not alone in the universe and that it's extremely important and timely and it's about and for all of us. So, again, please support this film at johnmackmovie.com. Thank you. Thank you so much, and have a great night. And you take Thank care. Thank you. Thanks, Charlene. Good night. Okay. All right, take care. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so let's get Linda back in here. I think I was... I did something wrong. I didn't... Okay, I accidentally dropped her. Linda? Hi, Linda. Hello. Linda, are you there? Hi, Linda. Sorry I'm, about that. I'm, oh, that's okay. Oh. That's okay, okay. I'm here. like a little glitch, so sorry about that. So... Okay, let's let's go ahead, Linda Godfrey. Uh, we're so happy to have you on, and I love your book. And uh, oh, it's dropped again. I don't know what's going on here. Um, Linda, maybe you should call call me because the phone keeps dropping. Okay, I'm sorry. Sometimes this happens. Hello. Hi, Linda. Welcome back. I don't know what the issue is. It just dropped again. Yeah, that's weird. Especially I actually can't even see you on the board. So if this happens again, do you mind just uh, Skyping in? I guess uh, sure. there's something going on. So sure. uh, tell us a little bit about, give a little bit of your background, and uh, uh, we're just so excited to have you on, and we're going to be discussing your new book, American Monsters. I love this book. Yeah, she dropped again, so... Oh, boy. This is going to be one of those uh, uh, strange nights, so... Uh, darn it. I just see the the wheel of death going, and uh, I don't know what's going on. Sorry, everybody. I know that it's still recording. Uh, but it's showing everything is frozen right now. So uh, hopefully she'll Skype in. I don't know if everybody can still hear me, but I actually can't see anything. I don't know what's going on. I might have to close this whole thing out and start again. So hold on a moment, everybody. I'll call you right back, but don't. uh, I'm going to keep... Hanging in here. I can't do anything. <sighs> Crap. Oops, sorry. I hope that's not on the air. Hold on a minute. Call you back, people. Hello, is this Linda? Yes, it is. 
Hi, Linda. This is Charlene on the, the paranormal secret. It's kind of, kind of haunted in here. You know what I mean? There's, there's static, there's things, lines dropping and crazy occurrences. So maybe that weird werewolf, werewolf showed up on my, my doorstep again. I am totally well, you know, embarrassed. I've had weird electronical and other things going on around me for like a week. Uh, a few days ago, I had tweeted this, but a few days ago I, I went to the DMV um, for my annual license re-upment, and it was kind of a weird vibe in there. There was this really strange lady, and I went to walk out after I had finished, and as soon as I put my hand on the metal bar of the exit door, I heard behind me that, you know, when everything shuts down, and I turned around, yeah. and the entire DMV had gone black. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so, a nightmare. That's what I'm Absolutely It was probably just a it was probably just a coincidence, but it was just so weird. And I looked and I thought, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> you know, so I just kept going. But I've had weird in the last week or so, so it doesn't surprise me. Okay, okay. I'm really, I was like looking and that you were still there. I was thinking, I'm amazed she's just patiently there because I'm like freaking out. I'm embarrassed. And then, you know, the show must go on. So I'm going to keep going. So. <laughs> Uh, give everybody a little bit of background on um, why you were interested in this uh, cryptozoology and uh, well you know know. I try not to tell the same story too many times but um, because a lot lot of people have heard it by now or have seen it in one of my books but Mm -hmm. it basically began 22 years ago when I was just starting as a reporter are you hearing me okay yeah it's great did I lose Oh, oh, okay. Um, I was just starting as a a reporter. I was actually um, an art teacher doing some part-time art teaching and and subbing and a cartoonist, and I really just wanted to write illustrations for this newspaper. And once you know, one of my first stories turned out to be The Beast of Bray Road. Nobody else there was interested in covering it, but I thought it was fascinating that people around my own hometown of Elkhorn were saying that they thought they saw something that looked like a werewolf. And it wasn't that I was into werewolves or terribly interested in them or anything like that. I just thought it was really weird that all these people said they were seeing this thing. And when I checked them out, they didn't seem like they were lying. They were, in fact, sending their stories to the county animal control officer. And he's the one who gave me a lot of my first uh, confirmation, in, in, or excuse me, contact information. So, you know, it just seemed like there was a little more to it than your average urban legend. And especially when you have the county animal control officer with a file folder marked werewolf, you know, that's news in anybody's book. So that was 22 years ago. Once it came out against all of my expectations, it just went national. I mean, if if there had been Internet the way that there is now, we would have probably called it going viral because it was just instantly. I, there were radio shows from one side of the country to the other and all of the local Milwaukee and Madison TV shows. Inside Edition came out. The new uh, Sci-Fi's new In Search Of and, and other shows started picking it up. And from then on, because of that exposure, anybody who wanted to report a sighting of something that looked like a wolf walking on its hind legs would somehow find me. And it wasn't even easy in those days because, you know, there was really not the kind of email or Facebook or 
Instagram or anything else that we have um, that made it so simple to find people. So 22 years later, I'm still getting several reports a week from all over the country and indeed the world. And I've lost count of how many different TV and radio shows I've been on, lots and lots. And it doesn't seem to stop. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's a phenomena that um, actually there are some other odd interdimensional things going on too that I wasn't aware of because I know, you know, we have a culture in the Native American culture and everybody has a Sasquatch and, you know, South America, they had a Cupacadra. But then there's another interdimensional component that we had discussed before on my show that I had actually woke up or my dog woke me up to point out that there was a big black wolf standing in the house. So uh, you told me that there was also other people reporting these strange interdimensional wolves. And I think it's so odd that, you know, I don't, this is only the second time I've talked about it because I don't really know what to say. Yeah, it's a very unusual thing. I don't think they're necessarily related to any of the Native American, um, you know, shamanic manifestations that are called by different names. I I think it's something entirely different. And that in these cases, because this was something that I really found it hard to swallow, although I try to remain open-minded, that things were really coming in from some other world. I mean, that just sounds so outlandish, but I've actually gotten photographs on a case that I've been working on myself that show what exactly looks like a portal described in other works of uh, and descriptions of these things, and then um, it looks like creatures around by it. So it's nothing definitive, nothing that could be final proof, but combined with a lot of other things, it makes you think twice. It does, because it was, you know, uh, so horrible that I actually... My dog is the one who alerted me to it, so I just looked in the direction she was looking in. And there it was, and it looked at her like, that's how I was able to question you about these werewolves. Because when we first met, I thought you were talking about, oh, maybe a cultural uh, a phenomenal thing that people are making up or something, you know, just like folklore. And then, uh, right. and I, yeah, but it turned out, when this happened, this happened actually... I think 30 days before I first talked to you for the first time. So oh, when wow. it happened, yeah, it was very odd, the synchronicity of it. So my dog looked in the hallway, and in the hallway was standing a six-foot at least big black wolf. I mean, he was very muscular. To her, mm-hmm. like, what did you wake her up for? I mean, he looked at very intelligent and sort of like you mm-hmm. idiot, you know. And then I looked at it, I always had to do like any good uh, UFO abductee or whatever, I actually grabbed my dog and hit him to the covers. And it saved me from the wolf. <laughs> that's crazy, yeah, that's okay? A typ- that's a typical description. And that's actually another category that I put in. And I, I don't know that I've ever had people really see a portal indoors, but I call them the, the, uh, the house invaders because there are... In in this case, they're almost always covered with black fur, usually really short. They're very large. They're described as very muscular. And they have that feeling that they're, people have the feeling they're very intelligent, that they're just really being observed. One woman 
who actually has a PhD in a couple of different areas and is a professor at an East Coast university, had this experience, having no other similar experiences before that, and she had two of them show up in her bedroom. And it's not like the type of experiences that people call um, being hag-ridden, where some kind of phantom-like thing jumps on you and you feel like it's going to suffocate you and that kind of thing. And it's not like where people feel they're being abducted or anything of that sort. It's every time this very jet black, muscular-looking, upright canine humanoid appears suddenly, looks around as if just examining the place, kind of like dropping in to have a look, and seems very sophisticated and intelligent and civilized. There usually is not any menacing going on like that. And then they just vanish. That's exactly what happened. And to hear it again, uh, you know, it's it's, uh, stunning to me because uh, what does it mean? You know, right. just, I don't, I don't understand it. But I'm being observed by this, the biggest, blackest uh, wolf, and that was like 30 days before. I thought it had something to do with, uh, because I'm a UFO experiencer. I thought it had something to do with that. This is like totally different and uh, paralyzing. Right. You don't think you can do anything about it, like. Right. Just people will describe it. People will compare it to um, Anubis, and you know that which would be. Anubis was the Egyptian god of the dead, and it's always depicted as having the head of a jackal and a human-like body, and its job was to kind of guide people to the underworld and sort of direct what went on, you know, once they got down there. But that doesn't mean that this is Anubis. It's just that the appearance of it with the tall black ears and and the muzzle and the jet black uh, fur, which usually isn't very long, it's normally shiny, as opposed to, you know, the dog man is described as having shaggy fur. If it's black, it's it's, it's shaggy and long and it doesn't smell good. And, you know, it's, it's sort of mm-hmm. a very different thing. But this one, the ones that appear inside the homes, um, one even appeared in daylight to a person. You know, it was morning. There was morning sunshine streaming into the house and it still appeared and... and uh, he looked away for a minute to grab a baseball bat to defend himself with, and when he turned back around, it was gone. So it's really interesting. This is, and I might add, this is a very small minority of the reports. Ninety percent, at least, are more the variety of things that could be a natural animal running or walking upright on its hind legs because they can do that. It's not a. It's not usual or normal for a wild animal to do that. So it strikes people as odd. And the thing is, these other ones um, are just an entirely different sort of behavior and appearance and uh, seemingly intention. They don't seem to have that same uh, intention to aggressively scare someone. They don't get the, the idea that it's trying to defend territory or you know, that it wants to do anything bad to them. It's just there. They kind of freak out. And people aren't paralyzed with this thing either, the way that they are with um, when they report seeing these other types of things, you know, that, that appear, the, the grays or, yeah. um, you know, the, the I grabbed my dog and 
and just hit right. her with myself. And we, we stayed, like, the same position for, like, three hours. We didn't move. We fell asleep. And we both woke up just the same wow. way, which is wow. weird. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that is. So it seems to be a different thing and I I don't know what it is. Um you know, I just don't know. I have to say there's there's no evidence. They've never said anything to anyone that I know of. No one's been harmed. They don't feel like, you know, some of the um the Native American things that come from what they call the um medicine men that went down the wrong path or, or whatever, those people are usually very much in fear of and they act differently and they don't always see them. These are just sort of benign, very large um, canine humanoids. And I wouldn't use the term humanoids for the uh, dogman type of thing that people most often report. So it's another type of creature and I don't know if they come in from portals. I don't know where they come from or what they want or what they want to do. I just find it interesting that different people from different walks of life seem to keep reporting Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, I'm a counselor with the federal government for uh, prisoners. That's what I do. I I was just really, I also am an artist and other things, but uh, it's just so odd that uh, something so peculiar would happen, and I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth, and it was so odd, the synchronicity of it, that I would get an answer through you, and that you have remained open-minded, no matter what you've heard, and you've heard a lot. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, people everything. will say, okay. I, pe- people will say, well, you know, you're going to think what I'm, I'm going to say is crazy, and I'm like, try me. I've probably yeah. heard crazy, you know, <laughs> over over time. So and yeah, you know I do like to I do like to emphasize that I'm not hunting anything really um, in in any sort of natural normally understood sense of the word I'm not out there with a rifle I'm not trying to track down any particular one of these things I'm more of an investigator people report things to me I put them in my database you know I may post them or if if they're suitable. Um, put them in a book or something where other people can see them and sort of relate to them. But um, I'm not I'm not out there literally hunting or tracking down anything or anyone. Um, I like to make that clear right up front. No, you're a reporter, investigator, and uh, people come to you, and then sometimes you go to the sites, and you happen to live in a strange area too. Right, I do, I do, which makes it very handy for, um, you know, for sometimes going on site. I like to go in the field, again, not to charge, like some TV shows will show people charging into the dark with rifles or whatever, and that's not what I do. I like to go to the site later and just see if there's any evidence that helps us understand what it was that they saw, if there are footprints or, um, you know, we can look at the terrain and, uh, just just get an idea for what happened. Um, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's very it's fascinating, and you can't say that you've chosen a... Well, I think your path has chosen you. You didn't really choose it, and it, it just flowed from there. It was nothing I planned. You didn't plan any of this, and it's, it's no. incredible because you're so useful to those of us who have odd experiences, you know, because there's 
no way to connect the dots, especially this newer thing that's going on that appears to me to be interdimensional. You know, that it's uh, something going on that, uh, I don't know, I would have never heard if nobody else said anything around. And I haven't heard any one person around here say it. I've only heard you and a couple of people told me they had a couple of dreams. I said, no, I didn't have a dream. I'm telling you, my dog woke me up, and then there was this wolf standing there. And the way mm-hmm. it was until anyway, let's get off that. There's a, somebody in chat is saying this. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to Digger Dog right now. Melville Ketchum in a DNA study stated that some of the DNA was leaning towards the lemur. If correct, could the dog man be closely related to the ancient lemur that once weighed 600 pounds? The face of the lemur is very dog-like. That's the question. You know, I don't think so because you don't have to look that far back in time or look for other things to describe it. People say, and what I do is, I mean, I don't try to look for other outside explanations. I go by what the witnesses say rather than saying maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. Almost all the witnesses say that it looks like a very large wolf or German shepherd that can walk on its hind legs when it wants to. It doesn't always. Sometimes it's seen walking on fours and then gets up and vice versa. It will be, you know, running along on its hind legs and then drop down. But it it looks like a wolf or a German shepherd in most of the cases. Sometimes it will have um, a slightly different dog feature. For instance, one of the most recent ones, uh, the one that happened in Heartland that was on my blog, um, she described a shorter snout or muzzle, more like a boxer, you know. But it still was it, it still was well within that canine family. It walks on its toe pads like a canine. It has a tail. It has uh, fur within the color range of a normal wolf pack. Um, you know, there's really no reason, in my view, to think that it is some kind of um, you know animal that is supposed to be extinct when that's not what people are describing. It's described as something that exists today. And if you saw one just walking around on its, um, especially on all fours, you just would probably say that's a really weird, really large-looking canine dog, you know, but you would recognize it as a canine. You know, you wouldn't be left in yeah. most cases. I mean, there's always a few oddball things that, that disprove it. Every time I try and, and say something definitely, well, then somebody comes up with a report where they've, they've had a different experience. And, there are always going to be exceptions, and one thing I've learned is that when you're dealing with unknown creatures, um, they don't feel any obligation to always present themselves in exactly the same way. You know, there may and there may be more than one type of unknown creature in the same area, so you can't just say, "Well, I saw this, and that's what it is," and all things in that area must fit into the same mold. You know, um, you may see. There may be four canine sightings in an area, and there are four different types of things. One is the regular, um, you know, large but not excessively large wolf-like creature that is just running on its hind legs, eating some roadkill, that kind of thing, the the very typical. Um, You know, you might see something that's uh, maybe a spirit manifestation of some kind. You may see something that is one of these bizarre black bedroom visitors or house visitors. They're not always in the bedroom. Sometimes they're in in other rooms too. And none of them are exactly the same thing. So, you know, people will will write me all the time and say, well, 
what is this or what is that? And I have to say, to be honest, I don't know. People would like me to know, yeah. but in all honesty, I don't because um, we're just doing the best we can to theorize according to what the reports are. Yes, and then uh, I think the way you're going at the reports is really great, too, because you're giving everybody credibility, listening them out, and you actually have a spot to make a report. So uh, we're, we're, if people have a report and they would like to report something to you, where do they get a hold of you? I well, they can go to Linda Godfrey. Yeah, com. Um, there's a couple of different pages besides uh, the main blog page. There's one for the Beast of Bray Road and the Michigan Dog Man, and you can go on there, and it it gives you, um, if, if you're hearing about this for the first time, there's a list of frequently asked questions, which I urge you to read because um, it's, it's just what everybody asks, and, and that way you get a, a basic grounding. And then there's um, form or, or a paragraph where I explain what I would need to hear from you if you send a report and it gives you my uh, email that you can send it to. So that's the best way. There's also a comment form you can use on the regular blog page too. Um, it does not go straight to my blog. Um, the, the special comment form comes straight to me and even the blog comments are moderated and I think I have them turned off right now um, because I just have too much going on to be able to moderate them. Yeah, you're going to have to get a moderator because it's just uh, you're too busy. <laughs> and uh, talking yeah, it, about busy, you have a new book that I have in my little hands here, American Monsters. So uh, this is the history of monster lore, legends, and sightings in America. And it reads, uh, it's, a, it's better than an encyclopedia. You have a lot of your own personal comments throughout, and it talks about just about every month in America. Right. You know, and I haven't got a copy of it yet. I got two books from that publisher today, and they've mixed them up. I got somebody else's books and, book instead. Uh-huh. So, I'm env- so I'm envious that you actually have a copy of it, because I don't. Oh, dang. <laughs> well, I can send this to you only if no, you be, uh, sign it. No, no, no they, <laughs> they've, got, it. they've got boxes en route to me, but they just haven't gotten here yet. So I, I trust oh, that I that I will. These mix, mix-ups happen, you know, sometimes. But, um, yeah. Yeah, this is it's a much broader range and as I explained, I use the term monster sort of loosely because a lot of people think of that word in different ways, you know, to to some people anything that's unusual or some variation from the normal species might be thought of as a monster. For instance, if you saw a squirrel that was um, noticeably larger than all the other squirrels and it acted a little aggressive, you might call that a monster squirrel. There are trucks. People call monster trucks. Um, you know, the word is used in so many senses today. So I kind of used it in um, terms of unknown creatures or mysterious beasts, that kind of thing, so that you get everything from great bird sightings to bat squatch to um, lake and sea monsters, you name it, it, it's all in there somewhere. And I could have probably written three books with everything that I had. It had to be, I had to really, really pare down, and I couldn't put all the types of creatures in there that I would have liked to because I had a word limit. 
that I had to stick to. I, I couldn't just write as much as I wanted. So um, I'm afraid everybody will f- say, oh, well, why didn't she put this monster in or why didn't that get in there? And I was asking myself the same thing, but, you know, you just you, you can't literally um, – it would have been just this a, a monster book. <laughs> well, you couldn't uh, pick it up because right now this one exactly. is very – it's a perfect size, really. You know, but okay. let me see, what's the page count here? Uh, 340. And then there's yeah, notes, so yeah. it's it's quite a a substantial book, and it's very reasonable in price. And I, I encourage everybody to get it because this is, to Thank me, you. one of the best. It's actually the newest that I know of out about all these, uh, uh, you know, these creatures that are crawling, swimming, and flying all over America. <laughs> It's uh, yeah. I, I want to I want to refer to uh, uh, chapter eight, and it's talking about something that I don't know why I stood back from this certain uh, subject, but my friends haven't, and they're very much into the reptilian gods and everything else. And for some reason, I refrain, and I don't know if it's out of fear or what. But would you like to uh, describe these creatures to our listeners? Well, you're talking about, uh, remember, I don't have the book to look at. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, Quetzalcoatl and the other dragons of the ancient Americas. I was talking about the reptilian gods. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because, you know, we have, I mean, a, a lot of people relate the reptilian-looking humanoids to aliens and or extraterrestrials that have um, maybe even been from our own earth there you can find all kinds of different legends and beliefs about them but um i just find it interesting that they've been around pretty much since the origins of civilization and who knows how long before that you know but as as soon as you start finding people the religion with their art um Quetzalcoatl is one of the big uh, Mesoamerican ancient gods. You you find him and versions of him with different names, you know, among different peoples in that area. And he is um, the the feathered serpent. And you find this image of serpents that are gods. There's the Nagas in in India. There are um, you know the I'm trying to think of some of the names. I don't have it right in front of me. Um, Egypt has them. They go all the way back to yes, Sumeria. You know. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Very very much so. And yet, what gets me is that people are seeing these reptilian-looking things today. And um, there's one I've written about before that I think I included this one, which occurred in La, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which was the same place where... Um, it's a little more famous for the sighting of the man bat, which is sort of Wisconsin's own bat squatch. But this was a man and a son who were searching around the river. Uh, La Crosse is where the, um, the, the Mississippi and the Black Rivers uh, join. And they were searching for their lost dog. And instead, this humanoid reptilian thing, size of a man, standing on two feet, covered with scales, was standing there right on the bank observing them as they were walking around. And they did find the dog eventually, but they did get out of there as soon as that happened. And that may seem isolated, but 
um, within a reasonable same time frame. If you took that Black River up north toward Medford, there was a truckload of highway workers that saw a very similar lizard man standing in the middle of the road, um, watched it snap wings out from behind its back and just zoom off, and um, a local or area patrolman, state patrolman, I believe, also saw the same creature up there on Highway 13 in Medford, and that's right off of uh, where the Black River leads to. So why are sane, credible, normal people still seeing these uh, creatures that are nearly identical to the same ones that were depicted in our earliest civilizations? You know, there's something about it that that people should be seeing these things that just makes me really wonder what the continuity is. Why have they been around us or at least showing themselves to us for all these years? And so I kind of hoped that um, by writing this book where I just kind of give what I think are the highlights and some some new incidents that, that have not been published before, um, all together so that people can see there's this wide range. It's not like you can zero in on anyone and say, I'm going to only think about Bigfoot. I'm only going to think about the birds. I'm only going to think about the dog man. Because wherever one is, you're usually going to find some of the others. And that's happened to me from the very beginning. People began reporting dog man sightings to me, yes. But they also immediately, even back 22 years ago, started telling me about um, Bigfoot sightings and large birds and all kinds of other creatures at the same time. Giant, giant snake in Lake Geneva, for instance. So um, it's it's just such a universal experience, not super common, but universal. Yes. Now the the one this one I had never heard of before is the flying manta rays. I have never ever heard of such a thing in my life that there's these freewheeling stingrays that are actually over land sometimes over land sometimes over water um over land is the really puzzling part because they're not supposed to be over land you know and and they're not supposed to literally fly although i mean there are different types of uh creatures like that that can sort of skim over the waves and hop and and seem like they're um, flying from wave to wave, but they're not supposed to be just actually flying over, say, the Pennsylvania countryside. And this is a fairly, it's, it's a, yeah, yeah. And this may be, this may be a, a break in that idea that everything has been de- depicted since early times because of a really ancient corollary for them, and it's kind of a a fairly recent development in cryptozoology and a lot of people are just kind of scratching their heads and trying to figure out what they are. There haven't been that many sightings that you can really pin down a standard description for them. Other than that, they remind people of of manta rays um, just flying through the air. Do you mind if I read a little bit out of this, uh, just a little bit to... Uh no, not it's at all. On page, it's on page 123, and it says, uh, "It's uh, how then has was a creature two people identified as a stingray able to swoop over their car, 
January 25, 2012, above a highway near Hebron, Hebron, Kentucky, just southwest of Cincinnati, Ohio. It wasn't giant in size, only about one or two feet long, but one of the witnesses, a teenage boy whose mother was at the wheel, said it powered itself through the air by making swimming motions. I just find that to be, there's more and more, of course, that you have to get the book, but uh, I found that stunning when I read this. I was just stunned. Well, the uh, the one thing that occurs to me, and um, again, I've always hesitated to say this, but there, when you get to things like that, you just find yourself going to unusual places to try and explain it, is they almost, those things, when you when you're looking at something that should be a marine animal that is moving in ways that should be propelling it through water, are you looking into a window in some watery area that, you know, maybe we have little mini wormholes around our own planet that that you're looking at the sky and yet you're somehow looking into a wormhole that's showing you this animal that's really in existence somewhere else. And that's a far-fetched thing. It's, I offer it only as a very, um, you know, kind of a stretch sort of theory, but there aren't many other ways to explain this. Well, I actually had experienced a few months ago something so, you know, honestly odd that I I really, I, for the, you know how, Let's see, okay, what happened, I'm going to tell you this, and you tell me what you think, Linda. I, want, I was okay. going to a conference, actually, and so I was stopped at a Starbucks, right? So I decided mm-hmm. to go use the restroom while I was waiting for my coffee, so I walked into the restroom, and this is what the restroom, because you know, every Starbucks um, bathroom probably looks the same all over the United States. They all look the same. Mm-hmm. There's a little mm-hmm. shelf on the right, the toilet, there's another shelf over here, there's a sink. It's same thing, but when I walked into this bathroom, there was a glass-mirrored wall on the right, no commode, no nothing, mm. and then a sink on the left with a mirror. So I, mm. I, when I looked at it, I went, I looked around, I went, you know, this is like a disco bathroom. What, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> so I, I got ready to turn around and see if I walked into a closet or some weird restroom with just washing for your hands. And Mm -hmm. then uh, something made me stop. I turned around, and I looked around, especially at that. I mean, it was a whole wall, very high ceiling, so it was all a mirror. And Mm -hmm. then I said to myself, I said, said, whatever was there, this is what I said. I said, okay, I'm waiting, so show me. And I stood my ground. I actually folded my arms and watched and waited. And what mirror is faded to looking like a two-way mirror, and then the bathroom came back. I am not lying to you. I'm not lying. So there, all of a sudden, the commode was there and all that, and I was stunned that it took me at what I said. I'm just going to stand here and wait, wait till you come back. And I was first, I I just can't even explain it, but I, I actually asked, the people from the party, and one of them actually in the movie studio, they were in the, they were helping producing Avatar and all that. That's why this is so odd. The whole thing was really weird to me in North Hollywood. And mm-hmm. uh, I just felt, knew I was witnessing another dimension that I would have missed mm. because I could have just turned around and walked out. 
and look for the right sure. bathroom. But something told me stay. Sure. I, I went, this can't be real because why would anybody make a bathroom like this? And slowly the wall faded. I can't, what do you make of this? That's what made me think what you said about the scene. Yeah. Things are happening that we're not aware of. I don't drink. Yeah, I don't do and I, I actually saw this happening in front of my eyes. Yeah, and mo- you know, most people who have these experiences are very careful to tell me that they they don't drink, they don't do drugs. I mean, that's that's very very seldom the case. And um, I do ask people that if they don't volunteer, uh, you know, if I think there's any possible chance at all based on on what they've been telling me. Um, you know, again, I can't say for sure, but if there are such things as openings between one time and another time, place and time, um, if there are wormholes or portals, that would sound like it was a good example of it. Or perhaps you were being, uh, you know, somebody else might look at it the other way and say perhaps someone was showing you um a mental image, you know, sort of overpowering your normal vision of what was happening with what they wanted you to see. And when I say they, I have okay. no idea who or what such an agency would be. I'm just saying that, you know, perhaps perhaps there's some sort of entity that can and wants to do that for some purpose. I don't know. But that might be, you know, another explanation. And... um you know, not having seen it myself, were, it, it didn't seem to really frighten you a lot? No. I mean, I actually, well, because it was so stupid, really. The premise was what? I have half a bathroom at Starbucks. You know, that's the premise. So that's why I just was like, no, this isn't right. When I first saw it, yeah. I was just going to, I thought, it's almost weird, like you accidentally walk into a closet. It was that kind of feeling. And then, but then mm-hmm. I saw the sink. I went, who created a bathroom like a sink? And then I noticed the whole the mirrors. And I thought, why would they put a mirrored room here? And then that's when I stopped from leaving and I started staring and I went, I'm going to wait till you turn back. I, I don't know why I even thought that. Hmm. And it did. It was like it was like a mirror that turned into, you know, two-way mirrors look a little bit gray that you can kind of see through it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah, it looked like right, that, right. and then it faded. Then the room came back. I'm like, okay, there you go. <laughs> the only so, thing, you know, the only uh-huh. thing I can think of that that's similar to that that I've heard is, um, I really only know this from the you know the bit of research that I've done into haunted places for, that I had to do for Weird Wisconsin and Weird Michigan, um, is that. There are lots of legends, and I've read other accounts. For instance, for some reason, I was just reading the big book of Illinois hauntings by Troy Taylor the other night. Um, I was looking for something, and they were telling about mirrors, where you would look in a mirror and see another person, another place, and sort of have this experience, and then it would suddenly drop away, and you'd be back to looking at what yourself and what normally should have been in the mirror. So, and I do know that um, in times gone by, mirrors were thought of as entrances to other worlds. There's a lot of, you know, uh, European lore. Yeah, there's a lot of European lore um, that uh, thought of them that way, you know, and and then with the uh, the haunted aspect too. So, 
those would be the two things that I I know of that would relate to that. And there may be someone out there much um, better read on the subject who would have other ideas. I don't I don't know, but I would say you certainly had a mystical experience. That much is very certain. Yes. It's certain, and uh, actually everything is fine. I'm not worried at all about it. It's just like that questioning thing. And then I asked, I asked, uh, uh, this name is Vaughn, the owner of the thing. Uh, I asked him, I said, was there any building or recent buildings? So I was trying to make sense of, like, maybe a building, the old building wanted to come back. You know what I mean? But that's not what happened mm-hmm. at all. It was actually mm-hmm. like a presentation or some kind of a test or or like you said, uh, you know, I have uh, friends that I've experienced some very strange things with, and I never thought to ask you about this, but has any, But uh, I'm going to ask you. Me, my best friend, she's in Nassau trained, and she works for Northrop, and her husband. We have all seen together at my house in a dream these blue cats with blue eyes. Very loving. Cat? Have you heard anybody say this before? Cats, four blue feet tall, cat, cat. furry striped cats with two different dark blue stripes, blue fur, like furry, shaggy, big round blue eyes, and four feet tall, and very shaggy blue with blue, darker blue stripes. Very that's loving. a new one on me. They they sound I like I know that's why I'm they sound like on the cat ver- They sound like the cat version of Care Bears. <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I'm they thinking so of. But... They were so okay. So they showed up at my door. Two of them at the back. Uh, I have a back uh, uh, sliding door. But in my dreams, I'm in another house altogether. But anyway, that's where I was. And then uh, my best friend. I called her in the morning. I said I had the dream about the most extraordinary, loving blue cat. She said, "Wait a minute. Let me tell you. Blue cats are darker blue stripes." I said, "What do you say?" She says, "Yeah, you're trying to give me a blue cat. I was over at your house." Her husband was standing in the yard. It was a very bizarre experience. That is. I, yeah, and I I'd say so, the, 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 the adorable big blue cats are a new one on me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I have no I just, idea. First. I'm, I'm out of my depth first. there. <laughs> so I'm the first and to you know, tell you, you may, that there's adorable blue cats out there. Yeah, and, you know, maybe somebody listening to this will contact you and say well i had the blue cat dream too that's usually how this works you know but yeah. um if they do let me know <laughs> i'd like to hear i will there's the only like ones i've been anyone okay just the only ones i've Pardon? heard is somebody say that a blue lion a lion with a blue light on it showed up into their house that's the only thing near it mm-hmm. and then i started being, you know people too. i've been seeing like blue lion images all over the place. So uh, they weren't lions. These were loving kittens, but they're just happy four feet tall. Interesting. Interesting, mystical. I know. <laughs> and they, adorable. Mystical. They were very adorable. So I've never, ever experienced any kind of, I've heard, experienced a lot of strangeness. This is the first time that came with love and adore, being adorable. Hmm. And we were trying. I was trying to share the kittens. <laughs> well, I always say, anytime you get a dream that's good and happy, and you know, makes you um, feel great about it, take it because there are just too many yeah, nightmares right. in the world, you know. And well, not how do you nothing. Well, friends having the same dream. That's the only problem with this one. That's odd. Yeah, it's I don't odd. know how. 
You know, it makes oh, you think of things like shared consciousness and uh, gets which gets you off on all sorts of different tangents. It really does. So we we met at uh, Denny's later for lunch, and she shows up in this blue blue furry jacket with a black blue stripe. I said, I know why you're wearing that. Oh, that's funny. I know. It's it's very odd. So, uh, okay, let's go back to um, uh, the the beings in your book because I was uh, just it's the flying manta rays floor me because I I have never heard of it and I never even conceived of it in my life, but I happen to like them. They're they're very weird, and you know a lot of those I I got some of those incidents from um, Stan Gordon, who is a wonderful. Um, investigator, cryptozoologist for a long time. Much he's been at this longer than I have. Um, has things from around Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, in that part of the country, and and uh, they're just rife with these things. So um, you you think what's a manta ray doing flying over Pennsylvania or Kentucky, like you say? Um, you know, but he's got he's he's somebody that I would always recommend, um, and I've got. If you look in the in the back notes, you can see his uh, website in the book there, and maybe you want to post it for your uh, yeah, in your chat room or, yeah, or wherever for yeah, your for your viewers later later on. But um, he's got lots what was more. His, of what was his name again, please? Stan Gordon. What was his name? Okay, Stan, Stan Gordon. Okay, right. so and his information is www.stangordon.info. So just go there, and there's information over there, and you do have. Yeah, he's got great, great, great archives. And Lon Strickner, uh, his Phantoms and Monsters website, he's got a lot of those too. You know, between those two guys, they're, um, you know, a treasure treasure chest of of these types of sightings. Well, do you want to talk about the Gator Man? Gator Man, yeah. <laughs> this was one that really, of all the things, and it's not the same thing as the reptilian humanoids at all. Um, this this is something that just really shocked me when when the the eyewitness contacted me. the The eyewitness is pursuing a career in um, kind of a very rarefied educational field. Um, going for PhDs in in, uh, zoology and that kind of thing eventually and thought that being known for the Gator Man might adversely affect his career. So he wanted to remain anonymous. Uh, I've checked him out and, you know, and he signed kind of a a little type of affidavit for me. And um, I spent a lot of time talking with him on the phone and, you know, through email and doing a lot of follow-ups and, and that sort of thing, and found no reason to believe that he might be making any of this up. But um, he spends a lot of time, um, his family also lives along the St. John's River in Florida, over on the eastern side of Florida, and he spends a lot of time um, on the water for various reasons, professional and personal, and he started noticing this creature. Um, he was particularly interested in studying manatees, and he had found a manatee that was just um, badly bitten up, you know, and, and nothing should be able to get a manatee the way that this thing did. 
And what he saw was what looked like an alligator, except it did have sort of the look of a, a different, uh, older species of alligator. And by older, I mean, you know, more ancient that was supposed to have uh, died out some time ago. And it walked around on its hind legs when it wasn't swimming in the water. And it began to sort of trail him. And I was reminded of, you know, Peter Pan when um, the alligator is, is following Captain Hook around. And yeah, only yeah, imagine having this gigantic, gargantuan, intelligent-seeming alligator that can go on two legs and that seems to recognize you following you around in your boat and even following you to where you live. Oh, my God. You know, he's had um, ongoing problems with this thing and, um, you know, did not really feel he could go to any professional contacts because he'd be laughed out of his his uh, profession. Um, you know, so he began telling me about it and, and would let me know every once in a while when, you know, I followed him with it for about a year. And, and like I said, we had many conversations and... and um, my drawing of it that I made for him, he explained it to me as best he could and, and did some sketches. And, you know, my, my drawing's probably a little cartoonier than the actual creature would look. But I did base it on um, represent, representations of the, the more archaic species that he said the head reminded him of. And it's one creepy-looking beast, let me tell you. I see the picture. It's, it is creepy. And, well, it looks, you know, humanoid sort of, and then a big gator head. And this is in Florida, for those in chat. They're asking where this was at. It's in Florida. Right. The Saint, I'm sorry, the St. John's River in Florida, I, in case I didn't mention the state. Right. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much a shocking thing. And, you know, usually, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll sort of, people will write their accounts, and they usually need... Um, some editing in order to be more easily understood or whatever, and uh, or they need interpretation or, or shortening. And I really included most of this guy's own words because uh, he just had a very um, descriptive and apt way of explaining it. And you can kind of tell there is uh, the overtone of the scientific voice in there when he's talking about it. And I thought that that was a quality that was sort of essential to uh, this whole narrative. And so I let him use his own voice and probably gave him a lot more room to tell it than than most of the other incidents in the book. Yes, because he has it in three parts and it is very interesting. And I felt bad for that manatee. Did they ever get any help for it or did it just die or... uh because it, they said that it he, tore off its tail and some big marks, and that's what got him right. interested. He said he was creeped out because right. uh, who could ever attack a big manatee like that? Right, exactly. And, you know, as far as I know, I'm sure it would be very problematic to try and and wild rescue a manatee that's, that's loose in yeah, the river that way. You know, it's not like yeah. a beach or anything where they could get at it. So I somewhat doubted, he did, and he never told me that it was saved, and I think he would have. So I, I think you can assume that it just kind of uh, was left to heal. And, and, and wild animals do have, 
you know, that affinity with their environment that sometimes they know more about healing themselves than, than we do. Um, you know, so it, it, you just kind of have to have to uh, hope that the manatee turned out well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they they touch my heart for some reason because I don't seem to want to argue with anybody. Right. They just They're live. kind of a gentle, a gentle sea They're cow, gentle right? Giant. Yeah. Yes. And then in your book, you do bring up now this horrible Humboldt Bay uh, squid. And I happened to see, was watching TV one time, was that the octopus or the or the squid? Any the humble blue devil? Uh, was that the octopus? Well, I think it was the octopus. The red, the red, the red, the the squid would be the red devil, you know, and and that yeah. that's a a type of squid, and and uh, yeah, there was actually um, an an attack of, of squids attacking um, this diver, you know, and and uh, the boat, which is kind of unusual, and and. Um, if you read it, you can kind of understand a little bit more about why that may have happened. And one could say, well, that's not a monster. That's just a regular animal. And you would be right uh, in the traditional sense of monster. But to somebody who's being attacked by a gigantic red squid, a pack of them, um, you know, <laughs> they, would, they would probably think it was a monster, you know, at the time. So yeah. it, it falls sort of... And, and also... The other reason I included it was because you have this whole tradition of the kraken, which is generally considered a monster in all kinds of folklore. And since then, people have discovered, you know, these very giant species of squids do exist, you know, large enough to actually fill the bill for what a lot of the folklore says about them, um, you know, coming up to boats and that kind of thing. And so this is another example of um, the type of squid appearance and behavior that might help inspire some of those legends. Yes, because you've always seen the old, uh, I can just see the the print block drawings of uh, a big squid with its arms around a boat or a ship. You know, how can we forget that? Exactly. Yeah, there's some really great engravings from, um, you know, 1600s when there seem to be quite a few of those things going on um, that are pretty easy to find. But yeah, sometimes you know, sometimes monsters um, turn out to be regular creatures, and I think it's just as important to point that sort of thing out as it is to look for otherworldly sorts of explanations. If you can find an explanation that, um, you know, is, is of the, the normal, quote-unquote, natural world that at least we're, obsa- that we're able to observe with our senses, um, that, that's well and good, and, and we need to do it when it's uh, possible. I, I agree, and, well, just like on the same subject, uh, the, the humble... Now, I live uh, near the LAX, but what we're talking about near San Francisco in the ocean. Uh, I was watching a special, and they were having one of those little little, the little camera submarines. They send it down Humboldt County, mm-hmm. same, same place that you're talking uh, in your book reads about the, uh, the squid. And uh, they said, okay, it's a, it's a blue octopus with a big red eye. And that, you know, to describe it, you would think that does not exist. 
vivid cobalt blue with one big red mm-hmm. eye. Now, what could be more horrible than seeing something like that? But they sent the thing down, the camera down, yep. and pretty soon, swim in front, right in front of it, was a big blue octopus with a big red eye. It was bizarre to see for the first time. But that's what's going on down there. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah, yeah. They have, I think, the, the largest eyeballs of any type of uh, animal. So, uh, cephalopods. Yeah, they have the largest eyeball. Right, cephalopods too, right. So, and certain species of them. But they're fascinating creatures. And I, I actually, myself, I'm not convinced that we've seen the biggest giant squid or colossal squid. Yet, I, I think probably every every once in a while one seems to pop up, and sooner or later we'll find another record breaker. Yes, and especially in these uh, these cold oceans and uh, the ones that seem to be rich in activity. Now they're even saying off the coast right here, right near me, not ten miles away in Malibu, that uh, there's another anomaly like UFOs are landing under the water and. There's a marine thing going on, and it's just a lot of different anomalies are are showing up every which way, whether it's under the water or in the skies or anything else. And uh, it's just it's fascinating. You know, this is an interesting world. It is. It's never it is. dull. Yeah. It, no, and, you know, I, I think I also made the point in the book, um, if if I had to say what type of creature scares me the most, it's the ones that show up when you are in the water because, you know, if if you're on land, at least we know how to operate on land. We're You know, we're born to land. We're land creatures. We know how the ground operates and how gravity works on land, and, and we're used to it. And in the air, you know, generally if something's coming at you, you can see it, you can take cover, um, you know, you can still maintain your own land-based defense. But in the water... You know, we're really um, kind of not not in um, the environment most of us are, are raised in. And here we are with creatures that are totally at home in, in that element. You know, they can swim it, they can breathe it, and, and we're, you know, subject to drowning within minutes. And, and um, you know, we can't really move as well swimming as we can by running and, and that sort of thing. So it's just the the big advantage that I think water creatures have on us when when we're um, on lakes and, and rivers and oceans. Well, think of the 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 way they're made up. They have uh, little lamps of light to guide them. Uh, they're very odd. Yeah. They have sometimes skeletons on the outside and the inside, and, or jellyfish with no skeleton. They're so diverse and incredible and they exist because they're in the water they're luminous or they're you know they're 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 fantastic right yeah they're designed for that environment or or the environment has designed them i'm you know it it, they're they're shaped somehow they're shaped together with the environment that they're intended to uh, to be in so when something like that comes at you they (laughs) you know it's it's (laughs) just just not not the same. It's, it, I mean, it's never good when something's chasing you as prey. But but to me, that's actually the the most terrifying place to be to be chased. That's right. It's uh, it's because uh, I have 
I've always been a water baby, you know, just in the water, whether I was swimming in the Hudson when I was a kid or I was out on some kind of a lake in New Jersey, you know, I always would take the little rowboat out by myself. And it's really incredibly deep, some of those lakes. So I could feel the mm-hmm. depth and everything else. But what scared me the worst was when I was swimming, you know, in the Pacific Ocean and the seaweed, the slimy seaweed get on your feet. Mm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, That's oh, never... And then imagine... Then imagine Gator Man coming after you. Oh, no. It's, it's you know, horrible, or think, you know. Well, and then you don't believe it. Yeah. And then when you see it, you know, I don't know what, how people are going to prepare themselves because some of us have seen these weird dogs or weird wolves or whatever. And then somebody out of the blue, I could just see, you know, somebody so straight-laced who would never think of a thing of seeing something like this. I don't know how they would cope, really. Yeah, I and, think I've got a coping people- mechanism at this point. A lot of the people who see them are exactly that way. You know, they've never had a thought about it before, and boom, there it is, and and it uh, just kind of changes their their worldview. So, um, <laughs> you know, really they, they're not always they're not always happy that they saw it, no matter what the creature. Time again, from all different sorts of things. Right. Now, do you mind talking about my favorite subject, which is the Point Pleasant Mothman? I love um, this. I'm addicted to Mothman yeah. or anything yeah. about Point Pleasant. Or uh, I got that movie, Mothman Prophecies, and when I couldn't go to sleep, I put mm-hmm. that movie on so I could go to sleep. I mean, that's just how crazy I am about wow. that whole thing. So could you, tell, I know, could you tell our listeners about this Mothman situation? Well, you know, I did, yeah, I included that story. I mean, it's one of the main staples of monster lore in the Americas. You really can't have a monster book without it. But um, there's another reason, too, in that it seems related to so many other things. And um, the the chief investigator with boots on the ground there who spent, um, you know, at least a year, I think more than a year there. Again, I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, but was the late great John Robert Keel? Shaw. Robert Shaw. You mentioned you mentioned Robert Shaw in the book. Are you speaking of him? Uh, well, John Keel is the one that I was first first thinking of. Okay. Um, okay. Because he was uh, he was on the site, and um, yeah, there were there were oh, others. Keel, was, you're right. You're right. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, John, John Keel. But there were others. But John Keel was probably probably the most famous. You know, and the the movie was based on his experiences and um, what he realized was that as in so many of these creature sighting places there was more than one type of creature Um, the the sightings descriptions of the Mothman varied a little bit from time to time Um, there were many UFO sightings he began experiencing strange electrical anomalies and he had visits from men in black um, it was just this whole nest and, and confluence of different types of anomalies that had come together. And um, I've noticed, I noticed the same thing with the flying humanoid bat-like creature in, in La Crosse. Um, when that occurred, it was only three days later that one of the uh, mysterious drownings of, of young men happened there in La Crosse. They, those have been happening on a sadly regular basis going back to the 1800s. And this was three days before um, 
the next drowning. And, of course, in Point Pleasant, you know, you had um, the Mothman seeming to herald this great tragedy of the Silver Bridge going down and, and all these people being, you know, killed and, and drowned. It was a, a, a terrible thing. So I think that that's one of the most interesting things is is that connection with the idea of the the winged messenger as sort of a harbinger of doom or um, coming to say something is is going to happen and and then the other is that connection with the UFOs and um, just sort of how it relates to weird flying things all over there's another really really interesting should be right near there in the book uh, uh, incident called the Van Meter Visitor from the little Iowa town of Van Meter and there's a book out on this um, by my friends Chad Lewis and Kevin Nelson and Noah Voss who actually went and dug this up. It's a little-known chapter in Iowa history where back in the um, early 1900s, this huge, weird, almost Mothman-like flying creature came up out of an old mine that was just outside of town and literally terrorized this whole town. And it was coming down uh, to Main Street and... um, scaring people, they were trying to shoot it, nobody could get it, and when it finally, they, they sort of uh, rounded up a posse and, and tried to ambush it and realized there were actually two of them, so it was almost like they were a breeding pair. It's quite a phenomenal story, and these guys did a great job. They have their own book that I urge you to look up and uh, order. You can find it online anywhere. It's called The Van Meter Visitor. And uh, by by Chad Lewis, Kevin Nelson, and, and Noah Voss. And again, they did a great job of it. But you can read that and just find so many parallels between that and the Mothman and so many of these other um, great flying things. You know, I just find it fascinating. Now, if you want to call in tonight, we'll ask our author any questions. 619-924-9744. And... Um, I just, I just, I just love this, Linda. I just, it's, uh, it's, you know, people that, uh, you know, there's some people that actually don't believe in they, they, uh, or they don't believe in anything, right? It's so dry. I don't know how they can live their life like that. And then there's other people mm-hmm. that actually say this is demonic. What do you have to say about right. this? I don't know. Um, how can how can anybody pronounce that that's the final truth or not? Um, I've had people ask me, and I think I, I noted, this, noted this in the book, whether I thought that the reason so many of these um, creatures seem to be coming forward or that there seem to be so many people seeing them is that maybe we're getting ready for Armageddon and these are the demons that are going to lead, you know, the, the great hordes in the final final battle. And I wouldn't well, know. Um, I think it's interesting that that people have been bringing this up to me. Um, Some of these creatures, and and again, people's definitions of demon vary. You know, according to your religion, there there are different definitions of it. Generally, they're considered not a good thing. You know, but um, it's it's just really so hard to pin them down. And again, I try to remain open-minded and not to be dogmatic about it because... 
really, who am I to say? You know, I investigate, I report, I put these things together for people to look at and make up their own minds about. Right, that's why you stay reporting and have an open mind. And what is the, uh, besides the, well, now you've heard for the first time the the adorable uh, blue cat kittens. Blue cat, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'll probably dream about those tonight now. I know, and they had big blue, big, they're not only blue themselves, they had uh, darker blue stripes. And their fur was long, like a furry cat, but they were pretty tall, four feet tall. But um, I shortly after that, there was a, a major discovery in the Himalayas of these cats that reminded me of them because of their furriness and the, the look on their face. But they mm. had round pupils, like the cats that me and my friends were dreaming about or whatever if it was a dream, but they don't have ordinarily cat pupils. These are these similar cats look like regular cats, but they have round pupils like the ones I was dreaming of. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Um, we have We have kind of a discussion about something similar to that going on over at the Unknown Creature Spot Facebook page. Um, if anybody's interested, I posted an article sent to me by a friend from, I think it was in the New York Times. I could be wrong, but I'd have to go look. But um, the title of it was called, uh, Should We Fear the Pizzly Bear? And it was describing how perhaps genetic hybrids between somewhat similar species can occur more frequently than people think. And you can logically then get some weirder animals than than people realize. Um, and they're not talking, I don't think, about, you know, giraffes mating with cats or, you know, wildly dis- disparate species. But, for instance, polar bears and grizzly bears, and that's the pizzly bear. That's that's where that that came from. And oh, they talk about right. different, okay. types of, different types of cats, too. And, and in fact, um, right after that, I got a, a phone call from a contact in... Um, Mid, middle the middle of Wisconsin, who was saying they'd had lots of reports of black mountain lions and spouting mi- mountain lions, spotted mountain lions around there, neither of which are supposed to um, exist or be able to uh, come from hybrid hybridization, but yet people are seeing them. You know, so what do it's we make true. of that? And you know what I have came to mind for me because I was. I actually go to a group and we, we discuss these extraordinary experiences because it's it's that zero group and we were UFOs, that's these and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, but when I talked about these cats, they were so forward they just shined me on and I was like embarrassed, you know? And then I put two and two together. The in ancient Egypt they worshipped cats. Oh that's that the cat got us, right. Yes. And then I did see some statues, I think, originally were painted blue, weren't they? The Was that the Nubia? Pardon? Or, I'm or sorry. Anyway, it was blue. There was blue there is, statues. Yeah. yeah, there are a couple well, of Egyptian I, um, gods that are shown as blue mm-hmm. or green. That's what I'm saying. So I started thinking about, well, maybe some of these so-called gods were actually real. Like, why would they worship a cat and then give them, have little coffins and then put the cats in? And maybe the cats that you're talking about had special qualities, like the ones I'm talking about. Well, they, yeah, they did. 
they did uh, mummify uh, their household pets, cats that were household pets and, and others. And, uh, you know, that that kind of had its whole uh, own following. The, the Egyptians were, were very big into, into cats. So I, I don't know, inch, inch, as they say on TV, ancient astronaut theorists believe there are just so many theories it's hard to know sometimes you know it can boggle your mind but we do know that the Egyptians believed in uh, Bastet the cat goddess and that they did revere cats and mummified a lot of them yes and uh, that's when I related it back and then it seemed to make more sense to everybody around me you know, especially since I have a couple witnesses, that, especially my best friend, uh, why would she say exactly the same thing? It's just so strange to us, but this is the same house where the wolf showed up. So, mm. you know, maybe, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I haven't lived here that long, only like two, three years. So, um, but it's, it's, it's always been going on. And uh, it's not like, it's like you're saying, it's not like a haunting. It's not like, it's like a creature it has intelligence, but its body looks like an animal, which we would relate to uh, something of lower intelligence, but that's not what's going on here. Yeah, and it's interesting because even with the um, the normal type of dog, man, and also with, uh, in a big way with um, Bigfoot, um, people who see these creatures also insist that they have more intelligence than just, say, a bear walking through the woods or a deer or um, the more mundane types of animals seem to have. So uh, it, that that kind of seems to go across the board with these mysterious and unknown creatures of all types. They seem like they're aware of us, like they have intelligence, like they're thinking about it, planning out their moves, that sort of thing. Yeah, and the subtle ones, like why, like the questioning of the way that uh, the wolf looked at my dog, little tiny dog. Uh, she was petrified and shaking, but looking at her like, and why did you wake her up? You know, like a different look. Mm-hmm. Like like a human would. You could read it right away, you know. It's just so odd. I don't know. It's just uh, yeah. <laughs> there's some intelligent animals, but these are like something coming from uh, just something else. And then you've really, you're, you've covered... Uh, so so many in this, uh, this awesome book. And um, would you talk? Would you like to talk about uh, a little about the shapeshifters? How are you doing there? How do you feel tonight? Because I know that you're three hours later, right? Um, no, just just two. Um, well, you know, it's interesting okay. because because a lot of people just assume that anything people see on two legs, whether it's um, you know, a gator man or uh, a deer man or a goat man or a dog man or whatever, that it must be some kind of supernatural shapeshifter that has changed shape from a human into a creature. And again, and, you know, I say this quite often, I, I don't believe that is what is going on in the majority of sightings, especially with with the the, uh, the dog man because it's, so easily provable how a dog or wolf can walk up right you just go to youtube and and google merengue dancing dog or um, oh yes you know dog or wolf walking on hind legs and you can find lots and lots of examples so um 
there are there are lots of native religions and when I say native I'm also speaking about native european native where, wherever you have the older um the older nature based religions you have um this tradition of man taking the assets of an animal that they admire in order to to gain those assets for themselves and there there are usually magical rites which i know nothing about and desire to know nothing about it's this is not something i like to delve into but i do acknowledge that it exists as um part of of lore you know worldwide it seems to be something that um people have believed in and you know i just i just tend to leave it at that and there i have very very few sightings where people think that they've actually seen something shifting from one to another and even then it's often been from one animal to another not from a human and i quite often state in most of my books that um i don't believe in the traditional hollywood style werewolf where it's you know like jack nicholson all it all his molecules are changing he's growing teeth he's growing fur um you can hear the muscles creaking and groaning as they get bigger um i don't believe that there's a, an actual physical trans uh translation there between human and animal some people disagree with me and they're welcome to i you know i i don't assert to know all there is to know in the world that's just my own personal belief and also largely based on many of the reports that i've gotten And other than that, um, you know, that's usually where I tend to leave it. I'm not interested in um really tracking down people who believe in this or who think that they do this or or whatever. Um and and if somebody does want to convince the world that they do, um you know, they can always go on YouTube and do that themselves or or they can just leave it alone and probably they'll be left alone is is uh what I would say. I agree with that because I've never had any kind of trouble like that. Maybe a little men in black problem at one time or another, but not not with the skinwalker thing and uh I don't actually understand it really, Linda. Like I don't know what well, they're trying to say. You know, I don't I I don't either and and uh, like I said, I it's something that belongs to various other cultures and um I just leave it there. You know, it it's it's something that exists as a possibility for some of the sightings, but it's it's not anything that I care to delve into or um you know, investigate closely myself. I'm I it, it's just yeah, out, out that, of my it's out of my, it's out of my realm. Well, and it doesn't seem to be e- the same issue either. You know what I mean? It's, no, it's and, like something it's no, something and, else. And, and, Yeah, I and I again I'd rather not even go there. You know, it's just something I prefer I prefer to leave alone. Okay, good. Okay, so uh what what uh uh as you're thinking about through this, what is this the most horrifying story you've heard out of somebody? Um well there are so many. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 hard to hard to say exactly um hmm i don't i should be prepared for that because people will ask me from time to time i guess i could say i heard a really um scary one 
just a few days ago, somebody called me from North Carolina. And this would rank right up there. I mean, the Gator Man one, I think, is pretty scary. Yeah, it's pretty you horrible, know, that, yeah. That, yeah, that one that one is, is quite scary. And I should emphasize that, um, you know, my books don't read like horror stories. There's nobody getting killed or hurt or, you know, it's not like watching a horror movie or anything like that. When they made the movie The Beast of Bray Road, they had to make it all up because people don't get hurt by these things. And that um, if they do, there's never any proof um, you know, no, none of the reports that I've gotten um, have featured anybody being really hurt or attacked. They think they're going to be, but they aren't, you know, in, in the final definition. And uh, this one was kind of the same way, and yet it terrified these two men so much that it actually happened in 1979, so it was uh, some years ago, but they're still terrified about it and uh, think about it every day. And they were um, about 15 miles west of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, in some hunting property that butted up to the Catawba River. And they were both like 18. You know, the particular woods was near where they lived. And it was one of those places that was just like what they call a spook woods or a booger woods where it was always just dark in there. You know, no matter if it was a sunny day, there were never birds singing, there were no deer, there was very little, if any, animal life. And um, one of his friends wanted to go hunting one day, and and this guy said, well, you you know, we can walk in there and shoot our guns, but you're not going to find anything to shoot at. So they went in, and they were walking around, and after a while they heard themselves being trailed by something that was walking along in the woods near them. They would take steps, it would take steps, they would stop, it would stop, and this went on and on. And they said it was dry leaves, it was fall, so they could hear it crunching, you know, every time. And it was just a two, something two-footed, you know, it sounded just like them, but just inside the tree, see it. So they got this idea, there was um, an opening for power lines coming up, and he said, when we get up to that, we're going to cut into the left, and then we're both going to turn around and see with our rifles and see what it is. So they did that. They got up there. They turned around, and they could hear the thing still coming, but they couldn't see it. And they could see the leaves crunching, and it walked so close to them, they both could have put their arms out and touched it. Walked past them, kind of made a little circle around them as if it didn't care and then just kept going. And they heard it and watched the, the the leaves crunching, but not seeing any sort of creature making that until it was out of sight. Probably, they said it probably went for 75 feet before they couldn't hear it anymore. And they knew that they'd been within an arm's length of something, something that walked on two legs and was sort of following them but didn't care enough to stick around once it had the opportunity. You know, it's just weird. Now, that to me is really super, super creepy. And I don't know what it is. I'm sure people can come up with all kinds of possibilities. But, um, you know, all I could tell them is that uh, they, uh, his feeling was that perhaps it was something like a cloaked Bigfoot. And there are Bigfoot researchers who don't believe Bigfoot do that and others that believe it does. And I don't know which one's right. I really don't. But that was kind of his gut feeling. 
as, as to what it was because of the size that it would have had to have been and the sound of the footprints and, and um, you know, just, just what they could feel from it as it passed them. So, um, but that, that doesn't mean it was. I, I still don't know, you know, what else it could have been. All I could tell them was that I have heard some rather similar stories from people who thought that it was a Bigfoot that was able to hide its, uh, its visible vibrations of, of, by some means. So I think that's pretty terrifying. I think it is terrifying to to be uh, tracked and followed, right. especially in that's... the woods where I spent a lot of time there as a child in the woods, and I was never afraid. But if I would have heard that, believe me, I would have been terrified. But I spent all day as long as I could out in the woods. You know, yeah, and, kind the, of and I've, I've had a number of reports from people who um, it was it was the dog man tracking them, but they actually saw it at some point you know so at least they had some idea of what it was and to me that's the scariest part is that it's so close to you and you know it's big and yet you can't see it you can't see it it's fascinating Uh, it's scary and uh, can I ask you a couple questions now you you have an awesome family and uh, you've written so many books and they must be in awe of you or do they do like my family, just shine you on? That's what I want to know. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just, You're a superstar um, to us. and I'm just, I'm just part of my family. I have a large family. I have, you know, sons, and I have many siblings, and a lot of them live in the area. And I'm just myself, you know. I mean, it's just this is my job and what I do, and they all have what they do, and. And, uh, you know, my husband does what he does. The dog does what he does. <laughs> and I, I, I just uh, take people's reports. So um, it's been that way for a while. And, and they're, very, they're very accepting and, and helpful when they can be. And yeah. um, I'm very, very grateful to have them all. I think it's wonderful. I really do. And, um, and the area you live in is so extraordinary because I, I found out that you have the biggest mountain of red quartz out there. And I never knew there was red quartz. And then I heard there's a natural deposit out there. And that could yeah, be contributed to some anomalies that are going on. Yeah, that's known as the Baraboo Ridge. It's um, this very special type of, of uh, rosy red quartzite. I think it goes for like a 150-mile stretch. And and it's in that center part of the state, actually not far from where I was mentioning, they've been having these black and spotted great cat sightings. And um, really a fair number of anomalies happen around uh, that area. But, yeah, you, if you look up the Baraboo, B-A-R-A-B-O-O ridge, it will tell you the geophysical aspect, aspects of that. And, um, you know, quartz is what, is used for uh, so many uh, electromagnetic types of equipment. Um, that's that's what radios it does. Basically. And, yeah. It, yeah, radios. Yeah, and Conduct. so it right and and uh, living things and other things um, all have electromagnetic. We have our own electromagnetic fields. Who knows how these things can interact with? our own fields, with our consciousness perhaps, consciousness, perhaps um, or with other entities or intelligences. 
um, you know, it's. I think there's a, a lot of unexplored science here that that uh, maybe we'll know more about someday. But yeah, it's the Baraboo Ridge is an amazing phenomenon, and um, we also have then a little farther east, running diagonally, is uh, the Kettle Moraine State Forest, southern and northern unit, which is where the glaciers stopped. The last glaciers stopped, and the lobes dug all these thousands of steep-sided, kettle-shaped holes in the ground, basically, with ridge, and those are the kettles, and then there are these ridges between them called the moraines, and they're very unusual geographic features. You get, when you're down in one, I mean, you, you feel like there's a, a little mountain up to climb in front of you, but it's just up, you know, up, up this, uh, to the ridge, and they can be sort of treacherous, and in the state park, the trails run mostly along the ridges, not usually through the kettles unless they're they're shallow. So um, creatures have places to go where people are sort of around, but they're never really down in where all the animals are. And therefore, you get a lot of uh, turkeys. In fact, when, when they brought back the uh, wild turkey population, the Kettle Moraine Southern Unit was one of the places where they uh, had the most success and one of the first places where they put them and now they're all over the place and they have tons of deer and all kinds of things can hide in those in those places so and again it's it's a very unusual geophysical um sort of arrangement and that's one thing i when i look at these um, reports that i get i like to place them on a map i like to see What's around? Are there rivers? Are there, you know, deposits of quartz? Are there old sacred grounds? What's there that might somehow be interacting with us or causing things to happen or causing um, phantom things to happen? By that I mean, um, you know, maybe just visionary things that that aren't there in the physical sense. and I think you can learn a lot more that way. It's, it's a much, you get a much deeper understanding of what actually is, is happening and, and that people are seeing. Yeah, that could be like that, uh, like a rainbow. What I think is sometimes it's like that rainbow effect where it's projected and then uh, it's actually like doing a moving picture across a crystal or something. Uh, we don't know. We don't even know. Once in a while I see in the sky these... Uh, I call them angel eyes. They're like huge, little, they're ball, they're ball rainbows. They're like balls, but I know they're there because the sky will look a little different. And then I look for the rainbow, and there it is. And it's it's like an eye, but it's a rainbow eye. I don't know if you ever seen one of those. Hmm. No, but it's no, like, I have not. But it's, but because it's cold, it it forms these rainbows on the crystals. You know, so to me, mm-hmm. I'm seeing, I mean, very vivid, rich red and uh, all the colors of the rainbow, but very intensified because it's kind of like clumped up. Beautiful. Sort of the way that the, yeah, so beautiful. And I can always tell because the sky looks a little different to me and then look a little yellow and then I'll start looking for it. And uh, this, everything's not as it appears to be sometimes, but... I, I found the area you live in uh, just so interesting and that you would end up there and then writing all these phenomenal books. And it just seems like the ideal situation, really. You know, you're very fortunate. Well, you never know. <laughs> there are days, 
you know, writing, writing a book is not, anybody who's done it will tell you it's, it's not necessarily an easy thing. And, uh, you know, there are days where I'm sweating deadlines and just tied to my, my office chair for, you know, weeks on end when I'm thinking, hmm, why didn't I do this or that or, or this or that? But I, I do enjoy, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy um, talking with people. I enjoy hearing about all the different kinds of things that they see. I enjoy getting to go out and connect with nature, you know, in um, just my investigations. And that, and then when people write to me and say, I'm so glad you do this work because otherwise I thought I was crazy and um, I would not know that other people had the same experience, um, you know, then I, then I feel pretty good about it. But it's not like it's all this kind of, La la, I'm typing away. Here comes the book, and then no, it's another. Not. It's it's yeah. it, it's it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of uh, it, it's a lot of of uh, work. And like like anything worthwhile doing, it's going to be some work. And uh, you'd better like what you're doing, or you won't be able to stick to it. And and I I do like it, luckily, and and um, that's why I've kept going this long. And I keep, every time I write a book, I think, well, that's that. There's no no more to write about. And then my readers always surprise me by sending me more things. So I have to give huge props, not only to other investigators that I've learned from and relied upon, but also to the many people who share their experiences with me so that I can record them and maybe help interpret them in some ways and um, correlate them with other things and put them out there, most of all, for others to see others who may not have found the courage to step forward without that. And this, bit by bit, is how we finally put everything together and, and say, okay, um, you know, now we can kind of look at it and, and understand people. Yes, people are seeing these things. It may not give us a final answer why, but it, it puts us somewhere and validates the experiences that these people have. And I think in a lot of ways that's, that's the most important thing because if, if you have something that's just tearing and wearing at you, you don't understand it, you don't know what it is, you think you may even uh, be denying that you had it, to have that validated and know that you're not the only one and that you can sort of move forward with your life because other people have, um, I, I think that's a big thing and that's worth striving for and that's worth doing. It's so valuable. Uh and this book, your new book, American Monsters, is a valuable resource of of every, well, just so many different kinds of, uh, it's a history of monster lore, legends, and sightings in America. And it's uh, well written, uh, very thorough. Uh, the references in the back are also awesome. You really covered everything, and I love the pictures. And uh, I love your artwork anyway. And I don't know who did the well, cover art, you. though, but I know no, somebody no, else did the no. cover art. Yeah, somebody Penguin, else did, yeah. but yeah, Penguin, but, the publishers but you, had their, their I love artists your work. Do it. I don't even Thank know why you. I didn't bother with anybody else. Oh well, public publishers do the cover usually. Um, it's very seldom that um, an author. In fact, in this one, they just—I didn't even have any input. They just sent it to me one day and said, "Here's your cover for your new book." And luckily, I loved it. it. I thought it was awesome. Oh yeah, you know, it's basically, basically, yeah. Yeah. Maybe if I were Stephen King or somebody like that, you know, there's a certain point where I think maybe you do have a little pull, but I'm believe me, I'm not at that point. And um, After I would, if you don't mind, my, still not, there's no hope for me. Go ahead. 
Go ahead, Linda. What did you say? <laughs> well, I was just going to, if you don't mind my mentioning, um, we've no. talked on, on, on we've talked on other shows about my uh, novel, God Johnson, uh, The Unforgiven Diary, which is the story of a 22-year-old wannabe actress who is taken in by a has-been demigod who needs a disciple and takes on the image of Abe Lincoln. Not disciple. And then it just gets kind of crazy from there. It's set in Madison, Wisconsin. It involves sphinxes and uh, other uh, kind of an army of other really strange gods and creatures. No werewolves are involved in the making of that book. And it's fantasy. It's, a, it's completely different. Nobody reported to me, and then I wrote it. It's all made up out of my head. And it's kind of fun. It has some um, some good reviews. And during the month of September, starting with August 28th, the day of release of uh, American Monsters, you can get um, God Johnson online, and that's an ebook, by the way, that is uh, co-published with my agent. You can get God Johnson for 99 cents. That awesome. is the, the deal, the special Johnson, deal that we have Johnson going on. Johnson has its own web, website on Facebook, right? Um, it has, yeah, it has its own um, page, and also, if you go to lindagodfrey.com, there's a page for it there too, where there's um, additional pictures and things about it, and a list of all the places you can go to download it. You can get it Kindle Nook, uh, Kobo, Smashwords, all of those, all of those places. You'll be able to get it for 99 cents just for that month, from August 28th through the end of September, to kind of celebrate the uh, American Monsters book coming out. Oh gosh, it's it's an awesome opportunity, everybody. So. Get over there and get the book. You can get the book on Amazon. And go ahead and put Linda Godfrey in and on the search for Amazon. All her books to show up. And uh, you've got to be proud of uh, quite an accomplishment of uh, what you've been doing. And you, Are you doing any uh, book signings anywhere or have any events you're going to go attend in the near future? Um, I, I do. You can also, if you go to lindagodfrey.com, again, there's an About page and then there's an Events Calendar which is fairly updated. I've got to go and I do it every couple of days, so keep checking it because there may be a couple of things missing. But um, I have some events, and that will fill up. There will be more. I have a lot of things pending. So if you look at it tonight, check again, and there will be probably more by the end of next week. Also, next week, um, if you happen to ever look at Huffington Post or CNN.com, I was invited to do a guest blog on on Huffington Post about American Monsters, and that will show up late next week. And also there will be an article um, written about American Monsters on um, CNN.com on the 28th. Exciting. I'm really looking forward to all of that. I really am because I I follow you and also follow you on Facebook. And I admire you very much, even personally. You're you're kind, you're intelligent, you're... I love the oh, your family sure. <laughs> and the whole thing. I know I just feel that way about you. Good vibe. And uh, oh, I really you appreciate so you being on the show. And uh, you're, you're always welcome back. Any thank you. You're very welcome. And you can come on any time and just uh, let me know whenever you have uh, some event or something you want to do. Just let me know because you're very welcome on here because I appreciate your time with us. And I know you're so busy, but you still take the time. So God bless you for that. Oh, I'm thrilled anytime I can be on. So, no, my it's very much my pleasure. I appreciate it. 
Oh, great, great. And you can get her book again at Amazon. And uh, it's a new book that's just coming off Hot the Press's American Monster, the history of monster lore, legends, and sightings in America. Don't miss it. It's coming up. And you're going to be able to get the God Johnson. It's another kind of interesting cover. Uh, it's uh, kind of looked like me. You <laughs> said a couple people said that. Yes, she's got the, she's got the red hair. Yeah, the expression is interesting. Yeah. Isn't it that was just a model. It's just so odd to me. It was just, uh, it's synchronicity, Linda. I know that's what's going on here. <laughs> it's kind of synchronicity of something. But I'm so glad that we have the Internet. We have ways to get to each other. Because ordinarily, how would we all cross paths? But miraculously, exactly. we are. And I really appreciate it so much. And I, I want to thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. Anytime. You take care. All right, you're very you welcome Thanks. anytime. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Person just, bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. I'm just so, uh, you know, uh, she's one of those people that you just love, and uh, she's such a, a wonderful author, and all her stuff is interesting. And this book particularly, it's it's also really great, and because she gives a, a lot of her own um, information and ideas on it. So you can actually find her at Linda Godfrey. Dot com and for her blog, and you can also find all her books on Amazon.com. And I wanted to let you know that next week our guest is going to be Jackie Jackie Barrett. I don't know if you know her. She's a, you've probably seen her. Uh, she is a, a very uh, interesting and uh, phenomenal psychic, and uh, she was in, in the Psychic Challenge, if you probably recognize her from her little black bob and hairdo, and uh, she's going to be with us next week, and I'm looking so forward to uh, visiting her with her, with you guys, and uh, she's going to talk to us. Actually, uh, she actually knows uh, uh, the Defoe guy that uh, from the Amityville Horrors, and uh, she was in correspondence with him, and uh, we're going to be talking about that, and also about her psychic abilities and things like that. So it's going to be a fascinating show next week. And I want to thank everybody in chat. You guys are amazing and the bomb. And I love you guys very much. And also everybody that's out there listening and the people that called in and listened on their phone. I really appreciate you uh, participating in the show every week. You know, you really make it make it go. And uh, I, I appreciate everybody so much. And tune in next week. And uh, in closing, uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can friend us, The Paranormal and The Sacred. Send me through there, and then I can actually invite you over to my Facebook page. And we'll look next week, Becky Barrett, and for all those links to contact me or leave a message you would like to be part of our show or for general help or assistance. If you want to write me, you know, snail mail, which you probably don't, but I'll give you the address, Shara McCain, PO Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. And God bless you in every way. And this, we have created a space where the unheard may be heard, and we're all talking about interesting topics from anything that we want to talk about between the paranormal and the sacred. That's what we're doing here tonight. And in closing, I want to do, I have special permission for producers to actually play this song, Let's and Love You Baby, and uh, here it goes. I wish, and God bless you, and be good people. <laughs>